Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Do you remember the day that Jesus became real to you? This is a question that we all have to wrestle with because we, probably most of us, maybe not everyone, but most of us probably grew up in America. If you didn't grow up in America, raise your hand real quick for me. I got one. <laughs> I got one right there. But growing up in America means, it, it means growing up in a semi-Christian context. Maybe not right now, but certainly over the last 50 years. And what happens when you grow up in a context is you're like a fish in the ocean. You don't quite know you're wet, that you're swimming in water. So the question, when did Jesus become real to you? What I, when I ask that question, what I try to do is cut through a sense of cultural Christianity that maybe some of us feel. I would ask this question to the college students that I ministered to down at Colorado College. And a lot of times they would say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> or if they had a Christian background, they, they may be able to answer this question. For me, I was 17 years old. I was living in Duncanville, Texas, and I went to this church called First Baptist Duncanville. We had a revival. It was led by a guy named John Randalls, who was a pretty well-known college pastor, college minister at Texas Tech University. He had the best skullet this side of the Rockies. Now, a skullet, if you don't know what a skullet is, it's business, it's party in the back, nothing on the front. There's no, no business, just party. And he was an awesome, he was an awesome man. And I remember him preaching the gospel, a message that the Savior of the world was crucified, died, buried, and was raised from the dead for me and for you. And that faith in him was the path to salvation. At that very moment, sitting in that church, Jesus became real to me. When did he become real for you? Has he become real for you at that, this point in your life? But here's the question that I have. Then here's the next question. After you become a Christian, after Jesus becomes real to you, after you submit yourself in faith to his lordship over your life, what happens next? We are thrust into the world. It's this world that we previously lived in, but now we have new purpose. We have new convictions. We have new passions and we have new enemies. How many of you after your baptism had a, had a rough time? Yeah, we got, I got some nodding going on out there. The reason is because you've, you've stuck your head out of the foxhole. You said, listen, the kingdom of this world is no longer my kingdom. And the king of this world is no longer my king. I serve a new king. I serve the true king. So we're thrust into the world 
into danger. And one of these enemies we know pretty well. We know his name, at least. Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness, the ruler of this fallen world. But the other enemy is not so well known. And that enemy is us. Or our old self. So today, as we continue in Ephesians 4, we're going to see how Paul, how God tells us how we are called to live out our new faith in an old world. And we're going to answer this question. How do we walk out our faith in the grind of life? Because I, I don't know about you guys, but life has felt like a grind very recently. One foot in front of the other, but those feet are feeling a little heavier than they sometimes used to. It's like you're walking through quicksand or mud. That's how it feels for me right now. I don't know about you guys. So if you open your Bibles, your internet devices, your programs will be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 in a message called New Life in the Grind. I want to say hello uh, to the live stream. I want to thank you guys for joining us today. It's really exciting to have you here. Hopefully I sent this message to my grandma, so hopefully my grandma's watching. Mama Doc, if you're watching, love you. I hope you're doing well. Um, we're going to pray and then we're going to dig right in. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the coolness of the fall we thank you, God, that um, you show us the seasons, that things change, and that over time there will be a new season of life and hope. As we go through fall and as we go through winter, we know that spring is on its way, Lord. We pray that you would help us today to listen and to hear your word, Lord. We would hear your voice in the voice of a mere human being, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right, now let's go back quickly to remember where we are. Paul, he's in prison, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And history reminds us that Ephesus was a pagan city, so not a Christian city at this point at all, boasting one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. It was a rich city, a religious city, a city with a spiritual center, and a city filled with Gentiles. Sounds familiar. And then see what Paul reminds them to do. Don't live like the Gentiles with their empty minds. The word here for futility, it means empty. It means fruitless and futile. He's saying that the mind of the Gentile is useless. What they think about, what they focus on. So how do we walk out our faith in the life of the grind? Number one, fill your mind. Fill your mind. As opposed to an empty and a fruitless mind, the Christian mind, the follower of Jesus, is called to have a mind that's filled and fruitful. Now, now, what does this mean? Because we can, you know, the Gentile can, can fill his mind with all kinds of things. Science and philosophy and technology and art and all kinds of things. But what does it mean to fill your mind in the way that Paul is talking about? It means to take God's perspective on things like education and politics and art and entertainment and sports and relationships and marriage and money and creativity and the like. It means nothing is secular. And all is sacred. The futile mind is empty. 
Everything is secular to the futile mind. Everything is material and matter, energy and motion. Material, the material world that we live in. There's nothing transcendent. Or if it is transcendent, it's focused on the wrong things. If you've ever been to another country, especially one that's rooted in paganism or animistic practices, everything actually is sacred, but everything is demonic. It's all missing Jesus. This mind has no basis, no foundation, no trellis on which to grow. But the filled mind, the Christian mind, sees everything as under God's purview and subordinate to God's power. So as we engage the world, we fill our minds with God's perspective. So for the Gentiles, we need to see what's the consequence of an empty mind. Look at verse 18. It says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance. That is in them due to their hardness of heart. So Paul diagnoses the Gentiles in Ephesus and everywhere. And he says that this, these, this empty mind has darkened understanding. They don't understand what is going on. They don't see the world as it really is. And this darkened understanding, it alienates people from the life of God. They don't want the things of Jesus. They don't want to submit to his lordship and his blessing and his life in the world. They're ignorant. It's not a word we use very often these days, ignorant. It really doesn't have a lot of bad connotations. It means you just don't know anything. I'm ignorant about a lot of things. Eric, you? Ignorant about a lot of things, right? Experts in lots of things too, but ignorance of lots of things. You ask me about nuclear physics, I got nothing for you this morning. So they're ignorant due to their hardness of heart. So how do we walk out our faith life, our life of faith in the life of the grind? Number two is we soften our hearts. Listen, a stubborn heart, and I've, I've had one of these. I'm sure you have too. A stubborn heart is useless. And it's in jeopardy of judgment. It's rigid. It's incapable of engaging and learning and feeling compassion or demonstrating Grace. We've all been in this situation. Someone wrongs us. Someone sins against us. Someone causes us pain. What do we do, at least initially? We rage. We complain. We sorrow. We plot vengeance. We harden our hearts to forgiveness. And what do we do when we sin against someone else with this hardened heart? We hide. We make excuses. We justify. We deflect blame. We harden our hearts to repentance. But what does God want us to do? To soften our hearts. To extend forgiveness. Repent and be forgiven. Those apart from Christ are unable to do this. Truly. Because it's devoid of God. So as we encounter the tragedies of life and the wickedness of people, as we come to grips with our own sinfulness, we're called to soften our hearts. We're called to ask God to soften our hearts. Now, what are the consequences of a hardened heart? Let's look at verse 19. They have become callous. It's a good word, callous. And given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So as the Gentiles continue down the path of alienation from God, we see Paul describe what happens in similar language that he uses in Romans. The Gentiles give themselves up to sensuality. Now again, we're using some words that like, we don't use very often here in, the, in our current, the way that we talk, right? Sensuality. I'm going to give you another fancy word for what Paul's talking about. Licentiousness. I heard a ooh. Who ooed over there? Somebody did. There we go. You can use this in your, you know, your SAT prep, licentiousness. It's a good one, right? What does this mean? Well, another, another way to say this is that they do whatever they want, devoid of devotion to Christ. Now, this word impurity, it does have like sexual connotation, meaning the Gentiles in Ephesus are excited to practice sexual immorality. And so how do we walk out our faith in the life of the grind? Number three is you protect your purity. Protect your purity. So does this mean that as Christians we should guard our sexuality in a highly sexualized culture, avoiding things like premarital sex, affairs, emotional cheating, and pornography? Yes, that's what it means. <laughs> Do that. Avoid those things. Does it mean that we need to fight in our own hearts against lust, against the temptation to exploit one another in sexual relationships? Yes, it does mean that. Does it mean that we must guard against the world's view on sex and relationships and gender, on what is acceptable or unacceptable when it contrasts the word of God? Yes, it does mean that. We are called, church, to be holy as God is holy. We are called to walk out our faith in this grind of life. We are called to guard our purity. So Paul reminds the Ephesians of what they used to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and you can look back on your life, I know I can look back on my life, Tony, and say, so was I. <laughs> right? Darkened in heart, impure, you know. My mind was filled with all the things that it didn't need to be filled with. But God has done something miraculous. Right? Miraculous. And here we see Paul changes his tone. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and are taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I've got to remember, Paul has a history with the, these people. He is their John Randalls. I don't know if Paul had a skullet. That would be kind of cool. But he is their John Randalls. He is the one who came and preached the gospel and taught them the ways of Christ. He tell, told them about the salvation that they had in Jesus. He reminds them of how they learned Christ. And he burns them a little bit with some sarcasm. Right? He said, uh, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. Well, of course they had. Paul did it. Paul was the teacher. He's reminding them, hey, remember the things that we talked about. I taught you these things. You learned them from me. He burns them with the sarcasm, then he reminds them of something that Jesus said about himself, that Jesus, in fact, was the truth. And so how do we walk out our faith in the grind of life. Number four is we remember our salvation. 
we remember our salvation. Think back to that first question I asked this morning. When did Jesus become real for you? When did you realize that your alienation from God was due to your sin? When did you repent and place your faith in the incarnate, crucified, and resurrected Jesus? I want you to remember that day today. I want you to put it in the forefront of your mind and return to the joy of your salvation because it's so easy, church. And I I feel this a lot. It's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to be walking day after day, trying to live for the Lord, and we lose the joy. We lose the gratitude. We lose the wonder at what God has done in our lives. He's rescued us from death. He's given us new life. He's taken that stone heart. He's ripped it out like an Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. And he's put a real one back in there for us, guys. Do you remember that day? Do you remember what God has done in your life? Do you remember? And if you do remember, this is not in the message. I'm going to riff for a second. Who around you needs to hear that? Who around you needs to hear about that day? Who around around you who doesn't know Christ needs to hear the story of your salvation, the story of God's salvation for the world? I guarantee you there's at least one person that you're thinking about right now, a classmate, a coworker, family member, friend, somebody who needs the gospel. That moment, the moment we said yes to Jesus, it changes everything. World is altered. Everything had new and vibrant meaning. And it is this remembering that allows us to walk out our faith in the grind, in the everyday challenges of life. So what are we called to do? Let's look at verse 22. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Remember that enemy that we talked about at the beginning? The one that is your old self? Well, that thing fights like hell to regain its old territory. Christ evicted it. Christ kicked it out. And it's not, that old self's not happy about that. Each day we're called to put off that old self. Because he kind of climbs into bed with us each night. It's like the, uh, if you ever watched um, Spider-Man, it's like that symbiote thing that like crawls and creeps and latches onto Peter Parker, turns him bad. It's that thing. So how do we walk out our faith in the life of the grind? Number five, tame your desires. Tame your desires. Paul here is not saying that desires are bad. But he is saying that they can become deceitful. They can over-promise and under-deliver. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he's talking about earthly pleasures. And he said, um, and the, really what the, the pleasures point to, and he says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, this desire that we have for something more, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind 
or an echo or an image. These desires that we have for food and sex and pleasure and friendship and all these things, they can become twisted, but they do point to the reality that there's something made to satisfy them. And it's not a person. It's not a thing. It's not a, you know, a bauble that you can buy. But it's a person that you can know. His name is Jesus. Our desires are driving us towards something greater than ourselves. And when we're, and, but we can be deceived into thinking that they are the end in themselves. And when we do that, we fail. Food is for enjoyment and the energy to do what God has called us to do. Sex is for pleasure and procreation and for fulfilling this dominion mandate that we see in Genesis. Go into all the world. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Have dominion over it. But food can deceive us into gluttony. And sex deceive us into lust. And greed deceive us into thinking we are the masters of our own lives. We're called to tame these desires, to tame our passions, to pursue the purpose for which God has made us. And as we remember our salvation, we detame our desires. What's the last thing that we're called to do in this passage? Look at verse 24. It says, And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to put to death the old self. We're called to put on the new self. Now what is that? It's Christ-like. It's Jesus-like. It's God-like. Not that we become God, as many New Age philosophies would teach, but that we come like him in a process called sanctification. So how do we walk out our faith in the grind of life? Number six, put on the new self. Now, I had the idea. I'm a big Texas Rangers fan. Any baseball fans in the house this morning? We got some? Yeah? Orioles. So sorry. Forgive, forgive us. Sorry, brother. <laughs> so I had this fun idea. I was gonna. I, had a, I have a Rangers jersey. They're playing in the National League or the American League Championship Series today. I was gonna take off this. I was gonna put on my nice new Rangers jersey, very white, very pretty. Decided not to do it. But here's the thing for you. I got you. See, I knew you were gonna be here, and it would have hurt your feelings. So I don't want to do that. Uh, but here's the thing. We put on a new self, and what is it? It's the best version of us. It's the version that honors God. It seeks to please him. It lives in righteousness and holiness. Now, does this mean that we're perfect in this? Anybody? No. Got John over there. No. Does it mean that we never fall back into old ways of thinking or being? No, it doesn't mean that. It does mean that we fight against it. And that we don't give in. And we don't lose faith or give up. Many are giving up on Jesus these days. People my age are deconstructing and shipwrecking their faith. Older generations are no longer seeking to invest eternally. Rather, they are living for retirement. And the younger generations are desperate for meaning and mentorship and are looking for it anywhere they, anywhere they can find it. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. The call for each of us is to fight the fight for our faith, to live out the salvation we have in Christ, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world. We are called to be for Jesus and against the world. We're called to be known for both things. 
I am okay, church, being known in this community and with the people around me for what I'm against. I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? That's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be against things that people are for. It's hard to be against the culture. Are you against the things in culture that we need to be against? That's the question. But I also want to be known for being for Christ and for people. Okay? I'm against things and I'm for things. Can we have the maturity to do both? (laughs) Can we have the maturity to do both? Because we will hear, it's like, you don't need to be known for what you're against. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We need to be against things that are bad. We need to abhor what is evil. Church, cling to what's good. Can we do that today? Together? We can do both things. Life is a grind, and so is faith. It's not easy. It's not always passionate and filled with emotion. Sometimes it's hard. Faith can be hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) There are enemies afoot, both without and within. But still, we are called, church, to walk out our faith in the midst of it. We're to fill our minds with God's perspective. We're to soften our hearts to his leading. To protect our purity in an impure world. To remember our salvation. To tame our our desires, and to use them for godly purposes and to put on our new selves each day, casting off the old. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.